This episode of The Candid Frame is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code CANDIDFRAME. We also have the support of lynda.com, who with over 2,000 high quality and engaging videos, provides a wide breadth of courses from beginner to advanced. lynda.com is there to help you learn creative, software, and business skills to achieve your personal and professional goals. To take advantage of their seven day trial, visit lynda.com forward slash the candid frame. That's L Y N D A forward slash the candid frame you can now download the latest episode of the candid frame directly to your smartphone or tablet using the candid frame app available for apple ios android and windows 8 you can automatically receive and listen to the latest episode minutes after it's released mark and download your favorites or send your comments and suggestions directly to me via the app. Download it today using your favorite app store or click on the links in the show notes found at the Candid Frame website. This is Ibanianx and welcome to another episode. First off, I want to thank you for the enthusiastic response to the listener survey. Not only have I had hundreds of responses, but it's really helped me to understand better who you are and what you get from the show. From the very beginning, I always knew that I wanted this program to be both educational and inspirational, and your comments have made it very clear to me that we're succeeding on both fronts. You've also included some suggestions of things that you'd like to hear and see from us, which is great. Some of these tweaks will be incorporated into the show over the coming weeks and months, but don't worry, the show is not going to change dramatically. It's largely going to stay pretty much what it's been for for the last eight years. Uh, Just finding different ways to really improve it to make it a better experience for you. If you haven't already submitted your own survey, please take the time to do it today. I'm really looking forward to hearing from you, and you'll find the link for that in the show notes as well as on the website. I've been doing a lot of thinking about what I want to do with my photography and the podcast. And a lot of those thoughts and feelings revolve around things that I want to create, but it's not just that. With both efforts, I'm imagining the experiences I'm hoping to have and the people I'm looking forward to meeting and collaborating with. Experience and relationships is what drives so much of what I choose to do, and it's why I often get so excited to talk to guests who take a simple idea and have created a life event that never would have happened unless they had taken the action of making photography a bigger part of their lives. Seth Hancock did this when he took what would have been an ordinary drive across across the country and made it into something both personal and exceptional. In his personal project, 10 Minutes with a Stranger, he takes the basic premise of portraits of strangers and elevates it into something that's beautiful, engaging, and in moments, very touching. Though a photographic life can certainly revolve around equipment, marketing, sales, and a lot of hard work, at its best, a photographic life helps to remind us of the joys that are to be had just by being creative and alive. Enjoy our conversation with Seth Hancock. Well, Seth, welcome to the Candid Frame. I'm I'm really excited to have uh, the chance to to talk to you. I I saw a, a blog post on on your work, uh, Ten Minutes with a Stranger, and as soon as I saw just a couple of images there, I was just like, well, this guy is going to be on the show uh, as, as soon as possible. So I'm real pleased that we could work it out to to talk this morning. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm a big fan of the Candid Frame, and and the instant that you contacted me, I was absolutely I was like, I can't wait to talk. <laughs> oh, great. Okay. Well, let's jump into this, this, this whole project. You can, why don't you just give us a brief description of, of what it is and what sort of led you to, to do it? Because it was part of, 
a move that you were making from Los Angeles to to New York, but uh, it ended up becoming much more than just you know casual photographs of strangers. So give us the story behind this. Yeah, and I'll, I'll try to be brief, but you know I've always wanted to drive across the country and meet people just as a way to see the country and see what other people are doing in this world. And, you know, working in photography nowadays, it's easy to get caught up behind the uh, computer, behind your iPhone or your iPad. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to go out there and I'm, I'm moving to from Los Angeles to New York. And I thought this would be a great opportunity. What's funny is initially the, the trip was going to be, I thought, yeah, you know, maybe 15 days. Like I'll stop in this city for a day and then I'll stop in that city for a day. But as you mentioned, as it, really progressed. It was one of those things where I was meeting more and more people and more and more people were receptive, receptive to this process. And I also found that it became a lot easier just to ask people point blank questions about their lives and have them open up. And I don't know what prompted them to open up or share so many stories with me that they did. I'm glad that they did it. But it was something that I'd always wanted to do and never knew that I would have the opportunity. And when that opportunity arose, I just jumped on it and said, I've got to make the most of this. And I, I kind of had this idea that I thought maybe I could get like a hundred people, but within the first two weeks when I got like 45 people, I thought, Oh, okay, this could actually be bigger. So my goal went from like a hundred to 120. Then all of a sudden it went to 140. Then I was like, okay, I'm now I'm getting tired. It's 150. <laughs> and, and that's what I did. So that's where we stopped. So tell us about it. Cause it's, it's more than just making snapshots of people you make on the road. I mean, you put some restrictions on not only the amount of time that you spent with them, but in terms of, as part of it, you asked them to write down answers to, to questions and you had particular limitations that you imposed on them in terms of what they provided you. So why don't you tell us what those were and how they helped you sort of refine what you were doing uh, as you traveled across the country. When I set out on the journey, I wanted to get people to open up. And I, I remember saying to myself, I'm only going to limit my time with them because I don't want this to be an all day thing. I wanted to meet people on the street. I wanted to give myself the challenge as a photographer to be able to make an image of these people without having you know, all the studio lights and, and everything set up. And I wanted to just go out by myself and do this. And I did, you know, at the, in the beginning, when I first started asking people questions, I was satisfied with a couple of what I was calling, you know, like high school yearbook, fortune cookie bullshit answers. You know, people would say things like, look to the horizon, follow your dreams. Your path is the key to your success. And after a while, I realized after the, like the first three people who wrote that, I, I just started going, wait a second, this isn't deep. This isn't meaningful. We're not really learning anything about these people. And so that's when I thought, okay, I've got to put limitations on this. And really what I wanted to, to say was that everything that they wrote had to be in first person. Um, I would not accept any of those yearbook uh, fortune cookie answers. Um, they had to be open and honest. Nothing was off limits. They only got one page to write on and everyone at the top of the page wrote their name, age, city and state and their occupation. And for some people, you know, one page was a challenge. Some people, you know, just wrote a couple of sentences because that's all that they wanted to say. But it was interesting. But the, the whole really the whole impetus behind this thing, and I mentioned this you know, at the beginning, was I wanted to get out from behind my computer and meet people and, and talk. But the other issue here is I wanted to look for a project that really had not been done to this degree. There have been several other projects. Like I remember a photographer back in the 70s who took a Polaroid out and traveled across the country, photographed people using a Polaroid camera, and then they would have the he would have them sign their name at that bottom space of the Polaroid. And I've seen other projects that have been done where a photographer, this is most recently too, a photographer from Minnesota went out and went with a writer and the photographer focused on the image and the writer focused on the interview. And I thought, well, you know what? I can do this. I can do both of, of these things. And, and I just wanted to get people in their own words to open up, to show that if we just spend time talking, we can learn so much more about each other than we've ever even imagined. Putting everything aside, you know, putting things like backgrounds and origins and races and uh, political ideologies. But if we just talked as human beings we can find out a lot more about each other. I know it sounds maybe a little utopian, but it's something that I do believe that we have a lot more in common than we think at this point. How, how did you choose your, your subjects? 
you know, you're traveling across the country. You have plenty of opportunity where you have to stop to get gas, get get food. You know, there's so many different, not only major highways, but different, you know, small roads that you can you can go down. How did that sort of factor into where you would go and what kind of people you would approach to make their portrait? Well, that's that's a great question. I, I really I never wanted to get on a highway and I was only on a highway twice during this process. And it was because I had to. So every city that I visited, I had taken like a state road or a state highway as opposed to a U.S. interstate. And I would just randomly stop. I, I really didn't want to ever put any restrictions on who I photographed, where I photographed them, or when I photographed them. I wanted to just pull off in an area that looked, okay, this looks like it may be interesting, and get out and see if I can meet interesting characters. It was, it was really more of a challenge of me, too, to just pull off on the side of the road somewhere or find an area that looked interesting and see if I could go and meet people and get them to be a part of this series. There really wasn't a rhyme or reason as to where I stopped uh, or what I saw. Just if it piqued my interest, I would stop. Now, I did have my list of cities that I was I knew I was going to call kind of my home base where I was going to be in a hotel or, or kind of set up camp. And, you know, those cities were like, you know, L.A., Reno, Salt Lake City, uh, Laramie, Wyoming, a couple of places in South Dakota, North Dakota, Minnesota, so on. I wanted to take a big fan of Robert Frost and Robert Frost's poem, The Road Less Traveled, has always resonated with me. And I thought this would be a great opportunity to take The Road Less Traveled because I could drive through places like Wyoming, North Dakota, South Dakota, Michigan, Minnesota, and the Upper Peninsula of, I mean, uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and then the Upper Peninsula of Michigan in June and July because I knew that I would not be really kind of prohibited because of weather. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to take the road less traveled and I'm just going to drive. And if I see something interesting, I'm going to stop and talk to people. And that's, that's how I met the majority. The only kind of help that I had, if you will, is that I would meet people and I would get into a city like Salt Lake City. And I met this girl named Jeannie who seemed to know everything about Salt Lake City, but I never asked her who I should photograph. I would ask her, okay, so what are some of the areas where you know people will be maybe hanging out tonight? And that's really kind of the only help that I ever used. So all the people that you see on the trip and the, the 30 of the 150 that were featured in the book and that are on the website um, are just that. They're, they're just strangers, people that I just happened to meet and got to open up. Was that that a challenge for you? I know that you've as a career as a photographer, you're you're used to photographing people that you don't know. But the the experience of approaching strangers who you know ha- have no expectation that they're going to be photographed or or participate in a project is an altogether different thing. Did you find yourself, you know, being challenged in different ways as a result of choosing your subject matter based on on this project? Absolutely, I think that was the biggest challenge for the whole trip is because. I'm a huge extrovert, but I'm not someone who really just can approach people as a salesperson. Like if I were to meet you at a bar, we would just be talking like we are right now and just having a great conversation because I like getting to know people. But approaching you with my camera and a light in my hand and a journal in my bag saying, here's what I'm doing and trying to like sell myself or sell this project was incredibly scary. The first few people were a a bit of a challenge, but I will tell you, and there was a turning point for me and it was about a week, about 10 days into the project. And I was in Southern Utah driving up to, to Salt Lake city. I stopped at a gas station, get gas. And I see these two guys riding motorcycles and they've got like these packs on the back. So you can, you could tell that they were going on a long journey. I thought this would be a great opportunity to talk to these guys. And, you know, they were two big dudes, beards, bandanas, all that stuff, you know, and and I just, I didn't approach them. Mm. And I was so mad at myself. I kept walking towards them and I'd turn around. Then I'd try to walk towards them a little more and then I would turn around. And I just remember when I got in the car and I started driving towards Salt Lake City, I went, man, why are you so dumb? Why did you do that? Why did you not talk to those guys? What, What could possibly be the worst thing that could happen? All they can say is no. And then you just get in the car and you go. And it's funny because about a week after that, I was in a pilot gas station in Laramie, Wyoming, and I met a truck driver named Gary who was traveling with his daughter. He was he has four daughters and he was taking them. That was his, his journey over the summer was he would take each daughter 
on a run in his truck from South Dakota to Montana or Idaho and then back and then pick up another daughter and spend that time with her with, you know, so he was doing this with all four of his daughters. And so he's the guy, when you look at the series, there's a guy standing on a big red truck holding the light. And I just remember talking with him and I remember saying, I'm not going to not ask this guy. I have to talk to him. And it ended up being one of my favorite stories in the book because his question was, you know, I said, you, you, uh, you're an over the road truck driver. You spend a lot of time by yourself, but really when was the last time that you cried? And that was his question. And to get a, uh, a 34 year old over the road truck driver to open up and talk about that was, uh, was pretty cool. And that, that to me was one of the things that changed the, 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 the game for me, if you will, not some cliche, but it really kind of was a game changer for me of what I could actually get people to open up and talk about if I just do approach them. And how would you approach them? Did you have sort of a, a, a pitch? Did you, was it? I did. I had a, I had a pitch and what I did was, uh, it got to the point when I got towards the end of the journey, it was like pulling a string in the back of my neck, you know, the cow goes move. It was like that because I would just walk up and I'd say, hi, my name is Seth Hancock. I'm a photographer in Los Angeles in New York. I'm traveling across the country doing a photo series where I meet people, spend about 10 minutes with them to get to know them, ask them a personal question, have them write something about that personal question in a journal. And then I make a photograph. And I, and I'll tell you this, and you know what, in, in all of the kind of the interviews or people that I've talked with about this project, no one has ever asked me the question, how many people turned you down? So I'll tell you right now how many people turned me down. Three. Mm. During the entire process, I had three people turn me down. And that was it. And it was amazing what you can get when people know that you are genuinely interested in them and want to hear, you know, what they have to say. They open up. And I think what what endeared me to a lot of people is that when I asked them the questions, I was genuinely interested. I wanted to know about their lives. It wasn't just I wasn't going through like, you know, you see some talking heads and reporters on TV. A lot of sports reporters do this, too, where they just have their list of questions that they're going to ask and they don't really listen to what the person is saying. And I think if you just put the camera down and you just listen to what they have to say and start talking with them, it's amazing what people will will talk with you about or will open up to. And then from there, if you continue to listen, you can glean a couple of things here or there. And then that was what formulated my question. So once I started talking with all these different people, like Gary, the truck driver, I'll use him as an example. I noticed that he was traveling with his daughters and he was taking the time this summer to spend quality time with each one of his daughters individually. And that's when I thought, okay, this guy has... I don't want to say a sensitive side, but at least this guy, you know, gets it. He's, you know, he's in touch with his family. He, you can tell that he really cares. And that's when the, the whole question just popped into my head. So when was the last time you cried? So each person got a different question. All 150 people got a completely different question based on that 10 minutes that I spent with them. Oh. No two questions were ever the same. Well, 10 minutes, you know, isn't a whole lot, a lot of time. So you know, you're you're trying to strike a balance between getting a good photograph of them, engaging them, you know, to the point where you can pose a question that will hopefully allow them to reveal something about themselves. You know, explain to me how it worked out. Did you start setting up and you start making the photographs and you're talking to them as you're making the, the photographs and that conversation ends up leading to the, the question? Huh? Is that the way it worked or give me an idea? Um, I would always have the camera ready. So no matter when, when I would get out in a situation, you know, say, you know, the, there's a picture of a 101 year old woman in the book, in the series. And when I got to her house, when I had, I had learned about this woman and through contacts and other people, they said, you got to go out to her house. I, I got out to her house before I did anything. I went into the camera, figured out what I was going to need to do, balance the light, all this stuff before I ever even met her. So I was ready to go. And I tried to do that with everyone. So that way, when we were talking, we could just talk. And then I could sit there and tell them what I was doing, get them to open up, spend that 10 minutes of just listening to what they had to say. And then after I would listen to what they had to say, that's when the whole, the, the question would pop into my head, the, you know, how I wanted to pose them. I would look around while they were talking or while they were writing in the journal. 
and figure out, okay, this is where we're going to photograph them and this is what we're going to do. And, you know, and some people went a little longer than the 10 minutes. I mean, it wasn't like I had a stopwatch, but it was the whole concept was I spent the 10 minutes really talking with them, getting to know them. And then we would go and make this photo right in their journal and I would be on my way. So, I mean, it really wasn't a lot of time that I would spend with these people. Why put the restriction of 10 minutes on yourself? Um, again, I think it was more of a challenge because you never knew where you were going to meet people. Um, you could meet people on the street. You could meet people at, at a baseball game. You could meet people at a gay pride parade. You, wherever. And a lot of those people were there doing something else. They weren't expecting to meet me. They weren't expecting to be photographed. They didn't have their best makeup on. They didn't have their best hair, best dress, whatever. You know, like Gary. Um, I'll use Gary again as an example at the, the gas station. He was there getting fuel and getting, uh, you know, some drinks and a couple of snacks for his daughter before he got back out on the road again. And for over-the-road truck drivers, you know, time is money. So I never knew how much time that they would allot me. So I thought, okay, one of the things that I've always learned in photography and even in shooting for magazines, when they say, okay, you've got 30 minutes with this person, it, your goal is to always be done before that 30 minutes because that's how you'll keep getting asked to come back and photograph. You know, if they say you've got 30 minutes with this person and the next thing you know, you've taken up two hours, you're going to be known as that person who can't work with certain time constraints or time limitations. So I just put those limitations on myself to make sure that those people could get back out and get back on with their lives, whatever that situation was. And yeah, I mean, there were, there were situations where, you know, people wanted, weren't doing anything and they wanted to buy me a beer and, and hang out. And, and, you know, I, I would try not to do that just because so that I could get back on the road and do what it is that I needed to do. But uh, there were other situations where it was, listen, I'm going to do this. This is how much time I have. Let's make this happen if we're going to do it. So I tried to make it more about them than about me. If that, I hope that that makes sense. Yeah. Did you set a sort of a, a quota for yourself each day while you were traveling? I don't know. How long were you on the road, first off? 47 days. So did you sort of set out a, a sort of quota that, okay, I got to try and make X number of images each day in order to, because uh, I know the number, the total number evolved, but in terms of what you were thinking, you know, day to day. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, there was, there was a goal every day. I think you have to have a goal. I always felt like a failure if I didn't reach a certain number. Like I said to myself, um, I was in Detroit and I said, okay, I'm in Detroit for four days. And I better get somewhere between 12 and 15 people during that four day period. So I would try to say, you know, if I'm in a place for a week, I have to absolutely get 18 people. If I'm in a place for four days, it's got to be between 12 and 15. So it, it kind of kept me going. It got me out of bed, no matter how bad I was feeling, if, no matter how crappy the weather was, if it was pouring down rain, you know, you, it's like you got to get out there and just keep doing it because again, I'm, I'm, I'm spending my own money on this project. And I think that I would be letting my, me and, and my wife down if I was just laying in a hotel room and not doing anything and not being productive. So absolutely, there was always a, a goal every day to try to get out and meet people. And, and there were some days that were just phenomenal. There were days that I had where I, I think I, one, in one day I photographed nine people. Wow. And then there were days where I got out and I photographed like two. So it was a challenge. But I, I think I like that. And I think that's one of the things as photographers that we should be doing is pushing ourselves, putting ourselves in uncomfortable situations to make us better, to make us think faster, to make us look at situations to, and, and, and to slow down. And I say that not in, in, I know that sounds contradictory to what I had just said, but when you slow down and you just stop and you kind of like look at the situation, you think about what it is that you have to do, you can be prepared. You can get your camera ready. So that way, when that opportunity does arise, then you can take that image and, and be done. Move on to the next. And now I'd like to take the time to thank our sponsors. I can't tell you how many months and years I sat around ruminating about creating a website for myself. Yes, I had images on Flickr and 500px, but I didn't have my own personal website that was designed specifically for me. Squarespace has provided me just that, and all without the headache of having to learn some computer language or having to download plugins to get my website to look and perform just the way I want it. Squarespace has made it a pleasure to have and maintain a website by providing me a great intuitive interface. 
but they've also provided me award-winning 24-7 tech support and a great series of YouTube videos that walk me through virtually any part of building a website that I could imagine. Try it out for yourself today and take advantage of the 14-day free trial. You don't need a credit card, just create an account and just enjoy it. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code CANDIDFRAME and get 10% off and to show your support for the show. Squarespace, everything you need to create an exceptional website. When it comes to learning photography, there are a lot of photographers out there that are sharing their knowledge of how they do things. And you definitely want to learn from people who know what they're doing. But it's an even better experience when you're learning from a photographer who really knows how to teach, knows how to share information that you can not only understand, but which also inspires you to go out and apply that knowledge. Lynda.com has that with some great instructors, including Chris Orwig, Deke McClellan, and Ben Young. These and their other instructors aren't there just to boast about how great they are and why you should buy their next book or, or their Lightroom presets. They love teaching and it really, really shows, but I want you to experience it for yourself. So I've worked out a special deal with lynda.com to provide you with unlimited access to the entire library free for seven days. Visit lynda.com forward slash the candid frame to use it for a week for free. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com forward slash The Candid Frame to start your seven-day free trial and help support the show. One of your subjects, uh, Jim, uh, that you met in uh, Minneapolis, um, he wrote down that, uh, you know, he about thinking about one day you'll be sitting in a rocking chair telling stories. And you just have to ask yourself, what kind of stories do you want to tell? Talk, you know, speaking to the, you know, what kind of adventures do you want to live? What kind of experiences do you want to live? So when you are in that rocking chair that you can share, and I think the spirit of that is really part of your story as well, because you, you changed careers. You were doing something else and then later on became a, a photographer. So tell me about that, that transition, especially in the spirit of that quote that, that Jim gave you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was, I was a brand manager for Valvoline and then I left that and started working in television and broadcast production, TV production. And I just remember talking with my wife one day saying, this is just soul sucking. It's not where I want to be and it's not what I want to do. And I can't imagine this being what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I have always been shooting it. I've been shooting since I was a kid. I mean, my first camera was a, uh, was a Polaroid SX70. And then from there, my first SLR was a Pentax K1000, which I think everybody had a Pentax K1000. <laughs> and so I'd always been shooting and I never really thought that it was something that I, uh, I would do to make you know money. I listened to, I actually listened to my parents when I was a kid. They're like, you got to go to college and get a degree and do this or do that. And so I did that, but it was just, it, it wasn't satisfying. And I'm a big believer that Look, you know, I mean, I know this is going to sound a little cliched, but, you know, we only do get one life. And I don't know why people aren't out there pursuing more of their dreams because it's really not that hard. I think that we put fear in front of us a lot of times. The term that I've heard is called future fear, where you kind of like look to the future and you get afraid of what could possibly happen. So you let that control you. But I just remember having this great conversation with my wife and I could not have done this if my wife was not, had not been so supportive. I just remember saying, this is what I have to do. So in 2008, I just, I walked away from a very lucrative career in television production and said, this is what I'm going to do and started, you know, my life all over again, but that's okay. And I'm extremely happy. But I think to your point about like what Jim said and how I've kind of approached this, is I, I wish more and more people would, would not let fear control uh, their lives or put, you know, future fear in front of them and, and be afraid of what, you know, tomorrow may hold because you, you know, you never know, but it, it's without, if you don't take those risks, then you really never know if this is what you were meant to do or what you were meant to be. Yeah. I've been writing a, a lot in, in my journal each morning. I start each morning, you know, meditating, doing some reading and then and writing down. And one of the things I'm, I've been discovering is that, yeah, that fear is a big part of 
would exist in my head every day that I wake up. And it amazed me that fear is not just about the choices I, I make or I don't make, but it ends up influencing the things I choose to do during the course of the day. That if I want to pursue my dreams, that there are all these sort of little things that kind of lead up to those opportunities. And that fear is oftentimes dictating what those choices are. And that I can end up endlessly procrastinating that, you know, that one phone call that I need to make, you know, that might lead to, to, to something, to something else. And I think when you start off working for yourself, all of a sudden you're presented with all this stuff that you have to do in order to make your sort of career happen. And you can get the sense that you're being productive, but you're not necessarily progressing. So when you made that transition, how did you deal with the fact that you're feeling this fear, but now you got to put all these different hats on and do all this different work and be able to sort of get through that fear to actually get those things done that you, so you actually would get the work that would allow you to make a living as a, as a photographer. I'm not going to lie. And I'm, I'm pretty straightforward if you can't tell, but, uh, it was really, really hard. I went from being uh, very well known in a lot of circles in terms of commercial broadcast production, creating television shows, all this stuff. Um, I was I was working in the Midwest in Indianapolis, and I could walk into a restaurant and people would know who I was, and it, it's a great feeling. I mean, I never got used to it, and you should never get used to stuff like that. But I I just remember the first year was emotionally challenging, emotionally draining. It was frustrating because you go from being this person who had earned a tremendous amount of respect in a particular field to being an absolute nobody. And, you know, it's, it's funny. I went to, I would go to conferences and I would go to portfolio reviews and I would do these things and I would start talking with these people in photography. Like they should know my stuff doesn't stink because of what I had done previously. And boy, is that an eye-opening experience because you walk into those situations and it's like, no one knows who you are. People could not care less about you. The other thing too, is that at that time is when it became so easy for everyone because around, if you think around 2008, that's kind of when the whole digital, you know, the DSLR revolution started to blossom, mm -hmm. right? I mean, remember the Nikon D50 was, was really, really cheap. Then the D70 and all this stuff. I mean, it was, they were really inexpensive cameras to buy. And so people were just buying these up and calling themselves photographers. And I became one of those people without really even knowing it. And so it was very challenging and uh, very difficult. But every time that I would get down, I just remember this. And this is, this is part of kind of my meditation every day. And that is um, every day I wake up, I honestly say to myself, I say, don't suck today. And, and I knew that if I just, if, if you don't suck, meaning that you just, you give it your best. You try, you, you do what you could possibly do. And before you go to bed, did you, you, know, you say to yourself, did I do everything possible today that I could have done? As long as I knew I was doing that, I was moving in the right direction. And I would have little wins here and there, you know? I mean, I, in my first year, I had a shoot for um, Women's Running Magazine. And so I would have like these little wins here and there that would keep me going. But I always knew that I wanted to shoot for magazines. I wanted to shoot for ad agencies. I wanted to do more commercial and editorial work as opposed to, say, shooting weddings, families, newborns, things like that. And I knew that that was even going to be a bigger challenge because now you're playing, you know, in a field that's even more com competitive. But you just have to believe and you have to just not suck. And you have to be realistic. You can't have delusions of grandeur. You can't walk into situations thinking that, you know, you're, you're the greatest thing and and uh, that your images, you know, certain images of yours, uh, you know, are horrible. Um, but you think that they're great. You can't have these delusions of grandeur. You have to be, you have to be absolutely realistic about your approach and you have to pay your dues. I hate to say that, but it's like, I, I equate photography a lot of times to, to bands. You know, there are thousands and thousands of bands out there trying to make it, but how many get signed every year? You know, very few. It's the same thing with like college sports. There are so many collegiate athletes out there who are trying to go pro in something and less than 1% of all those college athletes really make it. I, I equate photography to kind of like being in a band or being a college athlete. I mean, you really have to hone your craft. You have to practice, you have to work, you have to be able to take rejection. 
you know, if, if you show your portfolio to someone, you're basically saying, okay, is my, is my sister ugly by showing your portfolio to someone and they, and they're going to say, yeah, your sister's ugly. And you have to be able to take that, but you have to be able to understand why they're saying it and be able to grow from that and not get defensive. And I've seen so many people who do get defensive and they're like, well, what does this person know? How are they, how dare they even say anything about this? This is good. And it's like, if you open yourself up to listen to what other people have to say and you take it, you know, take it with a grain of salt, but you at least you glean something from those experiences. I think that's how you grow. And that helps to give you the confidence down the road because it's not, and, and you, you know, this just as well. It's not easy to be a professional photographer. So how did you find that you needed to differentiate yourself? Because as you said, there are tens of thousands of people who own the same equipment, you know, who've, who've learned many of the same lighting principles in terms of lot modifiers and uh, inverse square law and so on and, and so forth <laughs> and have websites, have business cards. So you're going out there not only with people who have the same skill level as you, but people who have been doing this for 10 or 15 years on, on top of that. So right. in the midst of all of that, which is overwhelming just to think about, what was sort of your, your sort of game plan in terms of not just your thought process, but in terms of this is what I need to do. These are the benchmarks that I need to meet in order to be able to make something happen. Well, there were, you had two questions in there because the first one was, how did you kind of like find your style or what happened? And, and I'll answer that one very briefly. I don't really think you find your style. I think your style finds you. I think you, I think by shooting and continuing to shoot the things that you love, you ultimately develop your own style. I shoot people. That's what I do. I'm not a food photographer. I'm not a car photographer. I'm not a still life photographer. Uh, I'm not a wedding photographer. I love making portraits and I take uh, I've become very good at making people who are otherwise not interesting, interesting. And I don't mean that in any other way than, you know, they're not celebrities. They're not CEOs. You know, they're just normal people. And I make them look interesting. So that's one of the way, ways to differentiate yourself is to own your style and to know what your style is. And try not to be, you know, so many people, man, and I, I know you've seen this too with a lot of portfolios. You look at portfolios and in their main portfolio, there are like 70 images and they're just all across the board. You know, there could be a newborn shot. There could be a, a car shot. There could be you know, a girl in a bikini, whatever. But it's like you have to figure out what your style is because you, because I think in this day and age, you really can't be all things to all people. You have to have a specialty. And so to answer your second question, I think that's where embracing what you're good at and honing that skill is important. But I also think being a good person is really, really important too, because in this day and age, and, and you know, I may be wrong here, but this is at least what I'm doing in this day and age with so many people with the same skill sets, same equipment and all this stuff, it's level the playing field tremendously. But where I think that we can differentiate ourselves is by who we are as a person. If you're, if you're a jerk, and you walk onto set, you know, you're going to, it's that old adage, you attract more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. But I think if people genuinely know that, look, you're a good person, you can make great work, you're easy to work with, you're solid with your skills, you deliver the products on time, you get your shoots done before the, the you know, the, the 30 minutes that they've allotted you or the hour that they've allotted you or heck, sometimes it's even, you know, 10, 20 minutes, but you get solid shots. And, uh, you know, you have a creative side. You just don't do what the art directors say. You know, you can come in and you, you have other ideas besides what the creative directors say. And a lot of times creative director may say, here's what I want, but I'll set something up completely differently. And that's the shot that they've used. So it's that ability to just be, I think, being a good person, but being, and just being true to yourself. Don't try to be something that you're not. I think that's what differentiates people because I think people nowadays are being sold on, you know, what you can do, of course. But I think your personality and how well that they can work with you. You mentioned your your wife being really pivotal in terms of you being able to make this transition. Tell me about you know some of the challenges that you face because making a change like that is difficult, even in the most healthiest of, of relationships. Mm -hmm. Tell me about how how she helped contribute to you know the choices that you make. Uh, you know, particularly this this move to. To New York, which is which is a big one, because you're leaving a lot of stuff behind when you right. when you make such a, a huge change. Man, I mean, I, I guess I think that uh, I, I would. My only hope is that 
everybody could find a partner like what I found in with my wife because from day one she's been really supportive and when we first met you know I was the breadwinner in the relationship and then when I made the move to photography the roles were completely reversed but she knew and we both knew that this was going to be you know an uphill battle and you know we had had some money saved and we had had some money set aside to do this type of thing but having someone who believes in you and who has your back was pivotal to me. And I I could not have done this if she had not been so supportive. And, you know, one of the things for us is that we don't have kids and we chose not to have kids. So our kids are our dogs and the fun things that we love to do. So a lot of times, you know, she will, she'll be on shoots with me because she looks at my work as much of, you know, as, as much of a child as I do. So it's interesting that you know, that she was so supportive and I'd never, I never thought that she would be as supportive as she was, but she believed in me and said, okay, this is what we've got to do. You know, and she has a great job here in New York as well. So the the move was advantageous for both of us. And again, it was this, it's that thing. We sit down, we talk, we plan things out. We try not to go into anything blindly and don't make hasty decisions. Every, every move that we make, we try to make sure that it's a calculated move that will benefit us we just talked a lot. I mean, I hate to say, you know, to, to really kind of dumb it down, but there really wasn't like a, a magic box that we found that had all the answers. We just sat down and talked and said, okay, this is what we have to do. But because if you're going to do photography work, I think, and on, and on this level, you've got to be all in. You can't just, you know, say, oh, I'll, you know, I want to shoot commercially, you know, occasionally, but I'll just do weddings here and there. I mean, I really think you have to be all in. At least that's what works for me. And I'm not, I don't think there's, you know, uh, one answer for everybody, but I know that's what works for me. Since you've, we're working on this, this project, you were working pretty, pretty minimally. Uh, you did not have much time to, to work with, you know, a huge, a huge kit. Can you break down what you were using and how that experience has affected how you shoot subsequently? Yeah, it's, um, Man, how much time do we have on this one? All right, I'll be brief. <laughs> um, I took with me uh, my Nikon D3S. I took two speed lights, a couple of umbrellas, and what ended up being my go-to piece was a LumaQuest Big Bounce. And the other big, the, the more critical piece for me was I used, and this is not a plug for Pocket Wizard, and I don't get paid by Pocket Wizard, but I had the Pocket Wizard Flex TT5 and the Mini TT1 because I wanted to get the light, obviously get the light off the camera and do what I could. I had no assistance. I think I had one light stand with me, but rarely did I have the opportunity to carry that. Most of the time I walked around with my little camera bag over my shoulder. It had the pocket wizard gear. It had the big bounce from LumaQuest, the two speed lights and the D3S. And what I would end up doing on a lot of those shots. And if you want to, I mean, if you want to break them down, like if you look at the third shot in the series, this guy named Joey Z, I'm photographing him with a camera turned in portrait mode. My left hand is holding the speed light as far out as I can possibly hold it. And I'm holding the camera like this and I'm lighting him from the side. Obviously I'm holding the light up, you know, to create the 45 degree angle, but I had to move fast. And I knew that if I, again, because I never knew where I was going to meet these people, I couldn't just say, okay, Hey, wait here. Let me go back to my car and get, you know, let me get this pro photo pack and let me get a couple of light stands and let me get the triggers and do what I have to do. Because most of the time people just didn't have that time for me to set that up. Mm-hmm. So I had to move quickly. And I had, like I said, the, the biggest thing is people were like, you had nobody helping you. And I'm like, I had zero assistance. There were times where like when I photographed this guy named Keith at the National College Rodeo Finals in Casper, Wyoming, this little kid happened to be walking by right at the moment that I was photographing Keith. And I, I gave the kid a buck. And I said, here, will you hold this light way up here? And he like stood on his toes and held the light as high as he possibly could to help put in a little fill on Keith on for that particular shot. So, yeah, I mean, it, I, I tried to pack minimally. I mean, if you think about the size of the stuff that I had, it fits all into one little uh, over-the-shoulder bag that I have from uh, a, a think tank over-the-shoulder bag. I don't remember the name of the, of the bag, but it's... You know, you open it up, it's kind of rectangular in size or more square, I think. It's got three compartments in there. So that was where the camera. Uh, oh, and my, my lens that I used for pretty much every shot was the 24 to 72 8. 
And the reason why I took the D3S was because I knew that I would be in low light situations and I would need a camera that would allow me to have a higher ISO uh, when called upon to do so. So I had, I had the 70 to 200 with me as well, but because I was having to hold the light so close a lot of times with my left hand, the 70 to 200 was not going to be the right lens for me. And in some of the shots I had to, I wanted to back up so far away to get the, the entire body of, of the person that I was photographing in the shot that I had them hold their own light. And you can see that's pretty evident with a couple of them. And then there are some that you don't see where they're holding their own light because of the framing that I had done. Mm. And, and how has that experience affected how you, you shoot? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the follow-up there. That's, um, so what's interesting about this is that I, I have, you know, a pro photo pack and I have some other lights and I'm used to shooting in the studio and I'm used to doing like, you know, I can do like four lights, five lights on a person, whatever, to try to make something really dramatic. And it was amazing to me what just working with a couple of speed lights can do. And the, the feedback that I've received from this project from so many art buyers, art producers, photo editors is like, wow, this is just absolutely amazing what you've been able to capture with just such minimal equipment. So I think it just goes back to, you know, to the point that a lot of us, you know, the, the whole kiss mentality, the keep it simple, stupid, because it, it really, it's changed the way I look at things that, you know, a lot of times you don't need to haul around five or six lights or four lights or whatever. If I were in a studio, that'd be great because it would already be all set up and I could move it around. But for instances like this, you just need to keep it simple. And it, it's really made me rethink when I'm going to make a portrait, what's really essential. I would always look for things like when I'm photographing people, I would always look, I knew that I wouldn't have a backlight. Um, like or I wouldn't have a, a, the ability to set up, you know, a rim light or hair light on someone because I would have to get behind them, set up a stand, try to hide the light behind them, you know, go walk around, make adjustments to the light, whatever. So I would always try to look for instances where, you know, the sunlight or neon lights or background lights or street lights or whatever would kind of provide that, that separation lighting, that rim lighting for me and just really focus on the key light that I would have in my hand um, or someone I would ask somebody else to hold for me and try to make that shot. So just keeping it simple. What's, what's the response been? You, you mentioned some art buyers and some editors, but, you know, as, as the work has gotten out there, what have you seen, what have you, uh, seen happen? Uh, it's been amazing. I, I, I can't tell you the response that I've received. It's, it's unbelievable in terms of the conversations that I've had with art buyers, art directors, art producers, photo editors. Um, I've landed a couple of uh, gigs from this already. I mean, it's, it's been launched. They, they all kind of went out the 14th of January. So it's been what, 10 days. And I've already got a couple of gigs. I've had, I have a meeting. I've had two meetings with a very big magazine that I, and I can't really mention any more than that right now about doing this series for them uh, as part of a series that they're going to do for their magazine coming up in February, March, April around there. So the response has been huge. It's opened doors that otherwise would not have been opened. And that's, you know, by following your passions and following your dreams and doing what it is that you really love, I think people see that, you know, because my portfolio is solid and my portfolio has, has garnered me work. But I think people see more of who I am as a photographer by this personal work. And that's the other thing I was going to tell, you know, your listeners is that what I have found just even even talking with consultants Agents, art buyers, art producers, photo editors, all this stuff is that they're looking now more into what you're doing for your personal work than what your portfolio says. And that's it's, it's been interesting to see that change where people are wanting to see more of who you are. Yeah. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is that I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Well, I think that this is, to me, uh, man, I have a lot to, to, from which to choose, but I think if I had to, uh, wow, that's a great, I love that question. And I've been thinking about trying to figure out who that's going to be. But um, I'm a big fan of Brian Smith. Brian Smith is a portrait photographer out of Miami. And I mean, the guy has been around forever. And he's absolutely fantastic. But to me, when you look at his portraits, when you look at what he's doing, you know, he's, 
he's just phenomenal. It's briansmith.com. And I, I think that, uh, I don't know. There's just something about like, I would love to do what Brian Smith does. And that's, that's like, that's who I look up to. And that's who, you know, when I grow up, that's who I want to be. Well, he's a great recommendation. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a friend of the show. I've interviewed him, I think, uh, less than two years ago. Yeah. Um, so I'll have links to that interview on, in the show notes for people who've not had the opportunity, um, to, to hear it. So, uh, thank you for that. And, and you know, what's interesting about him. And if, if you, I, I just, uh, I, I have his book. One of the really cool things about him was that, um, he wasn't getting, you know, he was getting work, but wasn't getting a lot of work. You know, I mean, he was getting, he was getting a good amount of work, but his, his series that he had done on some old, uh, pinup girls, yeah, the burlesque series. Where he just basically positioned them in front of, you know, the red curtain. So a couple of photo editors and art buyers had kept his, uh, you know, his work with them for quite a long time and was like always like looking for ways to, to use him. And his personal work had resonated so well with these people that they had kept that saying, OK, I can't wait for a project to come up because that's when I want to be able to use somebody like Brian Smith. So you just it goes to show that, you know, your personal work. Um, can, can have so much more impact than you know. And, it, you know, it may take a little longer, but uh, people are looking at your personal work and they're looking at it uh, and holding on to it. So where can people go to find out more about what you're doing? Well, it's very simple. It is Seth, S-E-T-H, Hancock, like John, H-A-N-C-O-C-K.com, SethHancock.com. My portfolio is up there. You can see the 10 minutes with a stranger. But the coolest thing that I did not mention that I want to mention to you really quickly the coolest thing of this whole project is that we incorporated augmented reality into it. So if you were to download this, um, an app called Janio, J-U-N-A-I-O, you download the app for free. It's an augmented reality app. You hover, once you have the app open and you have my channel loaded, you hover the phone or the iPad or your Android device over any of the images and it turns into a video. So every single picture in the book is also a video. Oh, wow. I look forward to playing with that. That sounds exciting. Yeah. It's um, some of them are by the people who um, were actually being photographed and some of them are by me, uh, you know, like some behind the scenes stuff of how I met this person, what the scenario was behind meeting this person, um, any other behind the scenes information that was there. But a lot of the videos were made by the people who were part of the book and they talk about what it was like to be a part of this process and why they chose to be a part of the process. That's great. Well, Seth, thank you so much for your time. I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased that I had the chance to talk with you. Same here. This was just a pleasure and, and my honor. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. You can show your continued support for the work we do here at TCF by making donations of any amount using PayPal. By clicking on the links in the show notes or on the website, your contributions help us to improve the show. Each episode of The Candid Frame is brought to you with the contributions of our audio engineer, Martin Taylor, who you can find at the other martintaylor.com. Our theme music is by Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music is available via incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.